Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is Evangeline Benedetti, who is a cellist and an Alexander Technique teacher. She lives in New York City. She was a cellist for the New York Philharmonic for over 40 years. She's been an Alexander Technique teacher for over 20 years and has been involved with the Alexander Technique for almost 40 years, perhaps a bit more. She's also, uh, in addition to her career at the Philharmonic, she has taught, uh, given master classes uh, in Japan and China and even North Korea. She has taught at Juilliard uh, and other um, conservatories. And we're going to talk today about how the Alexander Technique can be useful for musicians. Uh, Evangeline, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Robert. It's good nice to, to it's here. it's nice to talk to you as well. Could you give our listeners a very short uh, description of the main topic we're talking about, the Alexander Technique? Well, Robert, I think you're asking the impossible. I know I am. <laughs> a lifelong study. But if I'm going to ask anyone, one sentence, but yeah. I'll try. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I'm going to ask uh, anyone, I'm going to ask you. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, um, as I indicated, it's been a lifelong study of mine, and to boil it down, um, I think it is an integration of your thought and movement. Thought comes first, movement comes second. And, it, or, or another way of saying that would be the quality of your movements is directly affected by the quality of your thinking. Would that be that, fair? To that say? would be fair to say. So for musicians who are listening to this podcast, what, what do you see as, as the most important aspect uh, of their work that the Alexander Technique can help with? Well, there are two um, areas that are vital for musicians when it comes to working with the Alexander Technique. As I said in my um, little um, description or whatever of the Alexander Technique, uh, mind and then body. So, we have to learn to think well, think our musical thoughts clearly, have them uh, be uh, buoyant and upfront and prominent in our minds so that we can use our bodies to realize what we're thinking. So that would be the major learning aspect uh, was for me mm-hmm. that applied to my artistic life. Mm-hmm. If I could think it right, I could play it right. Okay, uh-huh. So then I would say that the second uh, most important thing is that one has to sit well or stand well, whatever your initial approach to playing your instrument is, and it should be really your first technique and should be practiced like you practice your scales. It should be refined as you refine your intonation and the quality of the way you sit will determine the way you move or stand, of course, if you're an instrumentalist who stands. And it will have a pretty direct impact on the quality of your playing, right? No question. That's why it's a technique and why it should be a technique for playing 
uh, uh, not apart. I think too often people study the Alexander Technique because whatever drives them their aches and pains or uh, just wanting more ease in their body or wanting to be more expressive in their playing or however they know to go to the technique. And But then they study that as an isolated, the Alexander Technique as an isolated technique mm-hmm. and don't fully incorporate it into their playing technique. So if you will, if the musician starts with the concept that my first technique is actually how I sit, it puts it puts it in a prime importance to the player, rather than maybe something that you apply to what you already know. That you know, an outward mm. <laughs> outward um, imposition on your technique that you're already working with, or maybe not even, or simply, well, this is how I sit, but sitting is dynamic, standing is dynamic, and it needs to be a big part of what you're doing when you play, not something added or something sort of thought about or what have you. Uh, my sense is that the way most musicians are trained, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, does not include a lot of attention to those those two aspects, sitting and standing. Would you, would you agree with that? Uh, I think that that's mostly the case, but, I, but fortunately people are thinking about it more. And um, I know my granddaughter is starting um, cello mm-hmm. and is uh, studying with a Suzuki teacher who is uh, a very good cellist herself. And she sees to it that she is sitting well in her terminology in her way at every time and you know there in that method which I do like with some limitations I will say Mm -hmm. but mostly the way it's taught today um, you know the children sit and then when they finish playing something they stand and bow so there's a lot of sitting and standing that uh, comes within the Suzuki method but that's another subject but she is being taught to sit well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for we musicians who um, haven't had this training, and actually when my granddaughter's a bit older, I hope to indoctrinate her a little more in the ideas of the technique, mm-hmm. uh, we need a way to learn it. And I have found that the easiest way to learn how to sit well uh, is by squatting. Oh, so, okay. okay. Could you say a little more about that? Sure. Um, it seems uh, okay. We have we're, when we're standing, we're fully upright, and um, you know our joints are. If we're standing well, we're very well balanced. The um, pelvis is nicely over the legs, and the feet are grounded, and we are able to uh, have an upright stance. Um, starting from the floor, going up through the head, mm-hmm. keeping in mind the uh, what we call in Alexander Technique the primary control, which is a relationship of your head balance on top of your spine. Right. So it seems that people, uh, although once you start to play an instrument, you can very easily upset that balance, but most of the time we're a little better off standing, it seems, than sitting, especially when we have to sit a long time. So I found that 
uh, going from sitting to standing is just a matter of folding at the essential joints to get us from upright to into the chair. Mm -hmm. Those essential joints are the balance of the head and how it moves off of the spine as you sit. Then the hip joints, the knees, and the ankle joints. Mm -hmm. I think most Mm -hmm. people would recognize that right away. Right. So it occurred to me one day when I was trying to help a young boy sit a la Alexander, I could not get him to move in his hip joints at all. He was about 10 years old. Healthy, perfect specimen of a 10-year-old boy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Delightful to watch play and whatever. But when it came to this, he just would freeze up. So I decided spontaneously to ask him, I said, can you squat? And he said, of course. And he did this perfect squat. So then I had the insight to say, okay, now we're going to straddle the corner of this chair and simply squat, which he did. Mm -hmm. And, of course, he went into the chair as we would Alexander teachers um, go through the sort of the perfect monkey lowered into a chair or something of that sort. Mm -hmm. For those of you who don't know that terminology, it's, again, uh, what I'm talking about. You're going to lead with your head, bend to your hip joints, your knees and ankles, and go into a balanced position that is halfway to sitting, I would say, something like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, um, so can this, I, can this I just, man, yeah. yes. can I just interrupt for a second? So are you, are you suggesting that, um, starting with a, a squat, which a lot of people can do pretty easily, yes. and then just transitioning from that squat into arriving at a chair, can be a very good way to begin to sense how you could actually give your weight to the chair without collapsing or stiffening or kind of crashing into the chair, which is what a lot of people do. Yes. And uh, so. Okay. Yes. Um, I'm sorry I got a bit distracted with some phone calls that came in just now. So to the, you listeners, please forgive my train of thought. Yes, I would agree with you. Um, so therefore, one can easily learn to transfer your normal squat into sitting. And even if you are not aware of the Alexander um, instructions uh, of lengthening your spine and all those uh, things that we as Alexander teachers look for when we move, help a person move from standing to sitting. If you simply squat on the chair, you're going to have your sit bones on the chair. Right. And and your sit sits bones are little projections uh, downward below your pelvis that are... Well, they're the bottom of the pelvis. They're the bottom of the pelvis. And they... they but they're below your hip joint. They're, yes, they're definitely below your hip joint. And they, they can kind of function as rockers. They have that... It's almost as though they were put there by someone who, who said, well, at some point these humans are going to spend a lot of time sitting on chairs, so we need to give them a nice support uh, possibility. So, I mean, I think what you're well, it's a support possibility mm-hmm. with uh, a lot of variation of movement. Which and allows, it's, it's it allows learning for to uh, what is the optimal place on your rocker, so to speak, mm-hmm. to allow your spine to lengthen. 
if you're sitting too far forward on your rockers, Mm -hmm. you're going to most likely overarch your back. Right. And if you sit too far back on your rockers, you're going to go into a real slouch. So it's finding the optimal place with a little movement so you're, you can move a little forward if you need to or move a little back if you need to, but finding that more or less center of those sit bones right. uh, as your basic place for sitting. I think, unfortunately, uh, people are not even aware of their sit bones. So in order to find your sit bones, what I would suggest is that you, uh, sta- you sit on the chair and put your hands really under your bottom. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, wiggle your fingers until you find the bones. And move around a little, and you can sense yeah, the movement can, of them. Yeah, you can move yeah. around on them, but I think finding them with your hand mm-hmm. is a little um, more, um, pro- it brings it to mind more easily. Uh, you can identify them more. Because I think we're so, again, this habitual use of sitting, we don't know if we're on them until we actually have an experience of finding them that way. Oh, I, I would agree with that. But once you locate them, I find that most of my students are able to to learn to sense them pretty quickly. Oh, yes, of course. Themselves. And, of course. And, and, oh, and no a, question about that. I, I'd like to just backtrack a second to the whole standing uh, as opposed to sitting issue that, as you pointed out, most people, when they stand, um, I guess one could say they tend to stand better or with less harmful tension than whatever they do when they're sitting. And I, and, uh, I think there's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of studies now that, that show that sitting for long periods of time is extremely likely to cause all sorts of uh, postural issues and I think part of the problem is that when you're standing it's pretty obvious where your support is it's it's the bottom of your feet but when you're sitting there are a lot of other possibilities that you could create like sitting on your sternum for not your sternum your your um What's the word I'm sacrum. thinking? Sacrum. yeah. Not mm-hmm. your sternum. Uh, sitting on your sacrum. And a lot of people do that without realizing it. And that puts a tremendous amount of harmful pressure on your body. And, of course, for musicians uh, who, who are in an orchestra playing, what, two, three hours uh, a day and then there's practice sessions and so on that's a lot of sitting and if you're doing it poorly that's a lot of pressure you're putting on your body and you can get all kinds of aches and pains from that absolutely absolutely so, uh, so learning learning to sit um, and back to the squat once you have refined or you know this way of sitting it can actually look very natural it's not going to be um, something that you're going to uh, be embarrassed as you try to squat sit, oh, as absolutely. I call it. Absolutely. So you you just simply you know walk up to the chair, be sure that your legs are touching the chair, so you know that you won't fall onto the floor since it's right. going to be a new way for you to sit. Right. Then release your knees, let your head go up, and simply squat, and forget that the chair is there. Mm-hmm. Allow the chair to. Just simply be met rather than aim to sit. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we have mm-hmm. to change this habit of what we call sitting. Um, when we sit, when we say the word sit, it's going to trigger a response in us. So perhaps, which is habitual and the one we've been using and we're trying to perhaps change. Mm-hmm. So I think if we change the name of our dynamic sitting to a squat sit, mm-hmm. it will constantly remind us to sit as if you're squatting. Or, so, or perhaps even a supported squat. Well, I, maybe. You know. I like squat sit. Yeah. <laughs> and then I like, I like uh, the... Um, idea that when you sit, you stand. So mm-hmm. we continue to, th- even though there is a change of the curvature of the spine that is a little different from standing to sitting, mm-hmm. if we continue to think of our spines as if we're standing, mm-hmm. we don't allow ourselves to slump so much or slouch or let gravity take us down in mm-hmm. uh, a negative way. Mm-hmm. So... Um, also, when you were mentioning uh, support, yes, we get the support of, we feel that, the support of our feet when we're standing. Uh, and we should feel the support of our sit bones with sitting, but we can't leave the legs out of the equation for sitting. Mm-hmm. Our, we still have our feet on the floor, mm-hmm. which is still our contact, our first contact to the main uh, supporting uh, element in the world, which is the floor or the ground. Right, absolutely. So we need to keep try to find a way to keep our feet or find a way that our feet can be in contact as much of the sole of the foot as possible when you're sitting mm-hmm. and use that as a sort of tripod between two feet and sit bones. Now, of course, there are two sit bones, so we have to think of those as being one as the third leg of the tripod. Right. But right. you have your sit bones as one leg of the tripod and each leg is the other two mm-hmm. uh, it will help you find a, a better balance I think if you might think of it that way and and the the description that you just get, you gave earlier of of kind of morphing from a squat to arriving at the chair and it and um, I think you what did you call it a seated squat or no I call it I call it a squat sit. A, a squat sit. And I use I use it in that order mm-hmm. again to change our thinking. Right, because if we you... keep saying sit squat, we're going mm-hmm. to sit as habitually uh, directed by ourselves. Exactly. If we say squat sit, we're going to squat first. Yes. And allow the sit to rise out of the squat. And if anything about that description uh, seems a little puzzling to a listener. I, I think it would be worth saying that that's something an an Alexander Technique teacher could show someone pretty quickly and easily uh, yeah. with a little bit of guidance. I think pretty much anyone can learn that basic process. Well, uh, you know, I don't like to not give Alexander teachers work <laughs> no. because we all need it uh, and we love teaching it. And you can refine your squat Definitely by working with an Alexander teacher, no question about that. But I think you should, you the musician, should not be uh, at all intimidated by simply squatting whatever mm-hmm. squat you happen to do, mm-hmm. even even if it's something that an Alexander te- technique teacher would not uh, necessarily think is the wisest squat. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That squat sit will do you more good than your normal way of sitting. Absolutely. I, I so, absolutely think that any musician who sits a lot could benefit from that, that process you just described. The other thing I would, would suggest um, is that when you're home practicing, especially if you're a person who sits when they practice, uh, about every 15 or 20 minutes, stand up and squat, mm-hmm. a full squat. Right. And then take yourself back to the chair and do the squat sit. Yep, I would that agree will, with that. Because that will uh, sort of lubricate your joints. It will get them all moving in its, their fullest extent. And it will uh, renew your sitting in the chair. Often, when, as I said, when we sit for a long time, we go into a kind of a slump. And it's hard to stay seated and get out of the slump. But it's... When you have the opportunity, as in a practice session, it's quite beneficial to squat mm-hmm. and then squat sit immediately. Absolutely. I, I even have had my students play um, a scale. I, I make it even a, a rather short scale. So, I mean, two, a scale of, say, two octaves for the cello, usually are, they're four. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can be four octaves, but any one you're, uh, to your choosing. But then, so I'll have the player... Um, uh, squat, mm-hmm. stand up, move back, to, and holding the instrument so you don't have to keep taking it back and forth. One can easily find a way to squat and hold the cello upright uh, or whatever. I think bass might be quite difficult to hold upright and do this, but right. I think the other instruments we could find a way. Okay, tuba's also very heavy. So, <laughs> right. All right, now back to, uh, lest I digress. So you squat, you take yourself to the chair, you squat, sit, you play C major scale, two octaves up and down. You stand up, you squat, you squat, sit, and you play C sharp major scale, two octaves up and down. Mm-hmm. You stand up, <laughs> squat, squat, sit, and play D major, etc. And if you have the stamina, you can do all 12 of your of the scales that the chromatic system presents us with two octaves and you will have squatted and squat sat 12 times yeah i i have i have be built right into a a practice routine at the beginning of your practice uh where you're covering um most of the notes on your instrument and um at least the basic notes in in the strings uh, world, it would be the neck positions, mm-hmm. and of course you can go on if you wish, but it if you do that for a few weeks, you'll really get used to squat sitting, and you'll build up your leg muscles so that <laughs> it won't hurt after the first four or five times. But it, you know, do take your time. If if you can only do one or two of these squats and then a scale and squats it, it it's fine don't don't push yourself i i find it hard to imagine that um a, a musician uh who sits a lot wouldn't benefit tremendously from what you just described it it i think it would it would at the very least what wake them up to what's going on when they're sitting and and how they might make some changes in it I would think that the process you just described would be a very valuable one for any musician who who plays sitting in a chair. Well, so. I think so. Uh, I think people that stand would benefit a lot from it. Absolutely. I Absolutely. mean, I, I, when standing, I think uh, 
uh, an instrument that is that way. If you play while you're squatting, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it might be extremely awkward at first, but my goodness, the results is amazing because going into the squat opens up your spine a lot. Yes. And um, yes, we have an, uh, uh, quite a dynamic and ideal way to do it through learning the Alexander Technique. But even if you simply do it without all of our principles, you'll get a lot done. But of course, I certainly encourage lessons. There's just nothing like Alexander lessons to help re-educate yourself. Absolutely. I think this would be a great time to to bring this conversation to a close, if if you're okay with that. I'm okay with it, yes. So my my guest today has been Evangeline Benedetti who's a cellist and an Alexander Technique teacher in New York City. If uh, what we've been talking about uh, intrigues you, um, I'll be putting a link to her website by the interview, and I'll also have a link to a website where you can learn more about the Alexander Technique and where you can locate a teacher elsewhere in the world. Uh, Evangeline, thank you so much for this. Well, thank you. It was a real pleasure, Robert.